We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everybody, what's going on? Hope you guys are managing during this incredible break that we're taking from all of sports, pretty much, besides a little bit of UFC. And, Ken, I think you mentioned off-air, you were watching some horse racing yesterday. Yeah, that was the only competitive thing we could find. I, I don't think that they've canceled the dart league yet. And so we're we're up for watching darts. Maybe cornhole. There might be okay. a uh, Johnsonville Bront tournament at, at some point that we could watch. But anything with a scoreboard, I'm hunting all over the I, – I watched some uh, uh, – some documentary stuff last night on ESPN about basketball, which was just fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a weird time, and I was telling Kent off air, like I pulled out the PlayStation Four today. I don't play video games, people. I'm I'm just too busy for it. And the latest version of Two K that I have for NBA is Two K Seventeen. So, only person on that roster currently for the Pacers is Miles Turner. So I had to literally go and update every single roster, uh, just try to get it close to what it is now. But Anyway, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the top 30 Pacers of all time, and we're going to stop at number 21 today, so we're going to go from 30 to 21 and discuss our list, so Kent made his list separate from mine, and we're just going to go back and forth, uh, spitballing our list together and discussing it, and we want to hear your input. Uh, tell us why we're wrong, tell us why we're right, and tell us what you have different, because during this time, we have nothing else to do but just look at random things and uh, talk about them. So, Ken, uh, <laughs> our top 30 list, number 30, yeah. who is the 30th on your list? I've got Jamal Tinsley, okay. and this is really out of spite. I, I didn't care much for Jamal Tinsley, and instead of leaving him off the list so that I didn't get a chance to talk to him and talk about how much I really didn't like his effect on the teams that he played for, not just as a basketball player but off the court too, I wanted to include him last. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to seem like there would be there was an oversight, 
and and I wasn't going to call out Jamal Tinsley. I, I never cared for the guy, and so I've got him at 30. He played seven seniors uh, seasons here. He was a decent point guard for some pretty good teams and uh, averaged 10.5 points a game, seven assists a game. Not bad game, but his game off the court was a distraction to the team, and I didn't like him. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I um, I didn't even put him on my list, to be honest with you. He's one of those guys that I felt like you mentioned was more of a locker room cancer. And if you noticed, any single time the Pacers were, you know, having an off-court incident, who was always there? Jamal yeah, he was there. Every yeah, time. Yeah, always. And, and he, he, he got, I mean, he literally got dismissed from the team. So, I mean, he was what you would call the 2000s version of Monte Ellis, right? Yeah, just about. That's exact. Well, you know what? At least Monte... What he did, he didn't do over at the eight-second saloon. I, I don't think Monte was out clubbing. Monte was out. He was misbehaving, but he was doing it by himself most of the time. That's fair. That is fair. And, you know, I'm just glad that we have DeMontis Sabonis wearing number 11 because those two guys rock number 11. And that jersey was kind of cursed. For, so it's good that we've got that curse reversed. And so I'll jump over to my number 30, Kent. It's one of the the most loved Pacers in the last couple of years, and it's Thaddeus Young. You know, uh, wow. when, he played for, when he played for the Pacers, you know, it was 11.8 points uh, his last year. and uh, No, that was, excuse me, 12.6 his last year, 11.8 his year before that, and 11 points the year before that. So in his three years here, you know, that uh, those teams were very successful because of Thaddeus Young. And while he was a glorified role player, so to speak, he he just did so many little things for the Pacers. I wanted to put him on my list. It was between him and Bojan for me at number 30. Uh, sorry to give a little spoiler. I did not put Bogdanovich on my top 30. Uh, it's really hard to make this list and put current guys or recent guys on here because you almost feel like it's recency bias when you're looking at all the great right. teams the Pacers have had. But you look at what Thaddeus Young you know brought to this team and there was even, I believe in 2016, 2017, when he was traded here, he had a little bit of an injury uh, that kept him out for a few games. And that really is when things started to go bad for the Pacers when he had that shoulder injury. Now, he eventually came back. But the Pacers had to go out and get him to play power forward because we know Paul George would not play that the year before in 2015-2016. So uh, he stayed faithful with this team throughout the entire roster changeover once Paul requested his trade. He was here for a little bit of the Monte era with, you know, that group. So uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out there, Thaddeus Young. Uh, you know, just a a guy that is a good role player in the NBA. Instead of penalizing Jamal Tinsley in his inclusion at number thirty for me, I I maybe should have rewarded somebody like Thad Young because mm-hmm. Thad was a guy that when you had a conversation with him, you actually had a conversation with him. And and if you asked him good questions, he gave you good answers. And he was always a pleasure to deal with. He was a really good teammate. He was an adult in the room. And and I think critically important is the Pacers won 48 games his last two years here. I think he was a big reason, not just on court, but off court, that that team was able to succeed, not just in the stat line, but in his effect on people as they played together. And and as we go through the list, I kind of bump guys for that reason. If they were really good teammates, I kind of gave, you know, I moved them up a little bit in my rankings. And, and Thad Young would be a guy who is certainly deserving of exactly that. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to number 29. Who is the 29th player on your list? 
You know, speaking of recency bias, I went with Domas Sabonis uh, because he's an all-star. He's averaging, uh, what, 18.5 and 12.5 this year, 14.5, 9.7 rebounds a game overall. And and I think he projects with the Pacers over the next four years, hopefully longer than that, being one of those guys who could maybe move into the top 15, the top 10, depending on how the team does. But I already see him as a guy – that I would insert into the top 30. I don't have Victor Oladipo there, which might be a mistake. He was an all-star. But I, I haven't seen post-surgery the kind of productivity from Victor Oladipo. We've seen the volume of shots. We just haven't seen the quality of shots. And and so I've got some bonus on this list, but not Oladipo. I love Domas. <laughs> wow, that is, uh, that is a, definitely a spoiler right there. I mean, I'm not even going to be able to talk about Oladipo until – uh, we continue doing our list because he's not on my 21 to 30, but he is definitely on this list. I mean, what he did for the Pacers when that they traded for him and Sabonis for Paul George. I mean, that yeah. enough, that alone to me was worthy of putting him on this list because those two years, I mean, all-star seasons, back-to-back seasons, you know, yeah. get this team, take them against the Cavs, seven games. I mean, they had to double-team him so they could beat the Pacers. I mean, he – I can't – I think you might want to reconsider your list. Uh not not putting Oladipo on there, especially if you're going to put Sabonis on there, because I mean this is the first time that we've seen Sabonis have a great year. So you know that's why I have him at 29 too. So it's kind of funny we do have him ranked at 29, but it's so young in his career that I'm not ready to you know catapult him up any higher than what he is at this point. But I do believe that the potential is there for him to be a top 15 pacer of all time at the end of his career if he continues to you know meet these projections that he's at but you know 18.5 points a game 12.4 rebounds five point uh five assist you know yeah. the only thing that he needs to get better at is maybe his turnover ratio uh assist to turnover ratio a little bit high on the turnover still this year but he's handling the ball a lot more a lot of minutes 35 a game basically so you know it, it, he's a, a fantastic young player but as for an all-time list he's still making his way up the ranks for me you know, and I, I don't want to go crazy here, but uh, last night, the documentary I was watching about basketball, it had some, uh, they talked about the Portland Trailblazers of the 70s and that championship team from 77 with Bill Walton. And they were talking to Dr. Jack Ramsey uh, about Bill Walton, said he was the best all-time big man passer in the history of the game. And they showed him making passes. And I thought, man, do those passes look very, very similar to the passes that Domas Sabonis makes. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm not saying that he's another Bill Walton or that he's going to be anything close, but boy, does he have the kind of game that kind of translates to being sort of a Walton-esque guy where you can sort of run the offense through him, you can cut around him, get to the bucket, and Domas is going to reward that. He's a tireless defender, uh, not the best defender, but I think he's tireless. He's a really good rebounder, and and I think he's going to develop as a scorer to where he's instead of an eighteen point a game guy, I think maybe he's a twenty two point a game guy at some point in his career, and is going to have to be somebody that opponents really key on in order to keep the Pacers from operating offensively. No, I can I can definitely see that. Um, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that we're just starting to see the the beginning of what Sabonis can really be. So uh, we both had him at 29, so that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see if we match up anywhere else in this craziness. Maybe at number one, I think we might. But uh, 28, who do you have at 28? I got Detlef Schrempf. Okay. 
for a variety of reasons. Number one, as a player, five seasons, he played in an all-star game representing the Pacers, averaged 17 and 8.6. He was a terrific kind of sort of five-tool guy, not a five-star five-tool guy, but a guy who could kind of do it all. And he had a great guest uh, role, a supporting role periodically on Parks and Rec, that I always thought was hilarious. I, I thought it was really, really funny. So I thought, you know, anything that brings glory to the Pacers externally, where marketing value is, uh, can be assessed, I'm all about that. So I've got uh, Detlef Schrempf at number 28. I love Detlef. He's a little bit higher on my list as well. So for 28, for me, I'm, I'm, I believe this guy is much higher on your list than where I have him. I have Miles Turner at 28. And similar to Sabonis, you know, I still think that this whole young young career—it's his fifth year with the team. He's averaged twelve point seven points, two blocks, six rebounds. You know, one assist. You know, uh, good shooting numbers. I mean, a, a effective field goal percentage yeah. is at fifty three percent, seventy seven percent free throw shooter, and a thirty six percent three point shooter. So you know, and he's just—I mean—he's gotten better. Every single year, we've seen him take strides in almost every as, uh, aspect of his game. So. Like I said, it's like a little asterisk. You know, Miles has the same ability as Sabonis to rise up this list. But for me right now, 28 feels good because I think there's players that over their career meant more to the Pacers as far as, you know, the playoffs, as far as, you know, their role on the team, you know. And Miles right now, he is a role player. You know, he's not an all-star. But you need role players like a Miles Turner to win championship games uh, or win, you know, playoff games, excuse me. So, that's why I've got Miles at 28, and um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got Miles at 21 just because he's been here for five seasons. He's a consistent scorer. I think he's developed. I think maybe as long as he stays healthy, he's going to continue to develop. And and I think that Miles, like it, having him at 21, maybe he's a little bit high, but I think that one of the reasons I've got him there is that it's been his willingness to kind of recede in importance offensively that has allowed this team to flourish mm-hmm. and allowed Domas Sabonis to flourish. And, and that's what happens when you continue to aggregate really, really good talent is that they push each other and they, they force others to ad- adapt to different roles. And Miles has done that, and, and he hadn't been real mouthy about it. He, he hadn't made a lot of noise. He hasn't complained and whined. And so I've got him a little bit higher um, just because he's been here a little bit longer. So, you know, we kind of know him a little bit better than we know Domas. So I've got him elevated at number 21. I think it's funny because our 21s and 28s are flip-flopped. I have a debt lip at 21. <laughs> so what are the odds of that, right? But uh, interesting stuff there. So let's move on to number 27. Who's Who do you have at 27? I got Ron Artest. Okay. Like, I loved Ron Artest. Ron Artest was just a cool guy. And in somebody, you didn't know which, you talk about like, you know, with Indiana, for instance, you've got good Devontae, bad Devontae, good Ron and bad Ron. Holy crap. I mean, was there a chasm between those two things? I mean, Ron at his best could score the basketball from almost anywhere. He was a total athletic freak. Defensively, he was a wonderful, potentially a perennial uh, first team, all defensive guy. And uh, at his worst, he was a guy who was going to kill your season quite literally with with the brawl and right, break right. Mark Boyle's back in the bargain. And and so he's just one of those guys, man. When you think of that Pacers team 
of the 2000s, like 2002 or 2001, really, to 2010. The first guy you think of is Ron Artest. And I think that that kind of magnetism, that kind of charisma, whatever, you know, whether the charisma resulted in positives or negatives, I think that's got to be respected. Plus, he's the only guy, he's the only NBA player I have ever seen wear his jersey in public. Right after he got <laughs> traded, I was driving home from uh, WIBC, and I'm, I'm on market and uh, driving toward Delaware where I cut up and, and go to I-70. Right. And there he, there's this guy, this tall African-American guy, wearing a Ron Artest jersey. I think it was number 15 then. And I was like, man, the Pacers did quick work getting those jerseys into production. Crap, that trade just happened. Right. And uh, then I looked closer. I was like, oh, my God, that's Ron Artest. He's, <laughs> he's wearing his jersey walking down the street. So that, too, that kind of quirkiness, I'm going to reward by putting him on the list. Yeah, no, there's, that's interesting. And the only thing I'm curious, you said from 2001 to 2010, if you think of the Indiana Pacers, you think of Ron Artest. What about Jermaine O'Neal? I mean, can, I mean, Jermaine was an MVP candidate during one of those years. I mean, wouldn't you think that he has a, I guess – wouldn't you associate him with the Pacers more than Ron? Well, you can, and he's certainly further up the list for me than Ron Artest is. But it, when, like, he had no charisma. There was zero personality to that guy. Yeah, you know, it, it, he's much better now that he's a former player. He really kind of enjoys talking. He's very thoughtful, and he's a fun guy to be around. But Ron Artest, man, Ron, Ron lived the life. Yeah, in, in Indianapolis. And so when I think of that team, and, and really I think because of his role in the brawl, although Jermaine certainly had his moment in the brawl too, I think of Ron Artest. And, and, and you know, he left the team to become a, uh, a rap artist and didn't want to play basketball anymore. Just an odd guy. And, and so I, uh, I dig the oddness. Well, the cool thing is we've actually had both Ron Artest and um, Jermaine O'Neal on this podcast. So... It was really cool talking to both of them, and I completely agree with you. You know, Ron is a hundred percent regretful for what happened, and yeah. said that he didn't realize the mental issues that he had, like mental health issues. Didn't realize how big of a deal it was, and he wishes in his he would have never requested a trade. Uh, he does. He regrets the brawl. Obviously, he didn't even want to hardly talk about it. And then you got Jermaine, who was just so humble, so kind, and so thoughtful with everything he was talking to us about. And his teammates and everything. I mean, it was. If you haven't listened to him, I, I recommend people go back and listen to him. But moving forward, I don't want to piggyback off that too much. But uh, number twenty-seven, Lance Stevenson for me, uh, Mister Born Oof. Ready. And I know he probably does not make your list, Kent. He uh, does not. Right. And the only reason I'm putting him in here is because, yes, he was he was a role player, but he was on a very good Pacers team for two to three years, and he was very important to that team. Did he cause them some problems? Uh, probably so. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, blowing in the ear of LeBron, the antics were a little bit over the top. But at the end of the day, he hit some big shots. He made some big plays. He had like five or six triple doubles, I believe, in one of those seasons. He was fun to watch, and he was he was a good basketball player. He just couldn't get the antics out of the way from it. But that's who Lance is, and I don't think the fans would love Lance as much as they do if he doesn't have the antics involved with his game. So, you know what? I wanted to give him some love here because I do feel like the the NBA guys that really like the analytics guys that look at Lance are like, oh, he's a bad basketball player. 
You can say that, but I really do believe, you know, he was the starter on the Pacers, two teams that went to the Eastern Conference Finals against the best team in the Miami Heat at that time. So, you know, Kent, I feel like he was worthy of giving some love to. You know, and certainly is, and you talk about charisma, I, I can't think of many players in the history of the franchise who have had more charisma or kind of uh, communicated energy to the fan base in the way that Lance did. He he was, he to me, he's kind of like Ron Artest uh, without Ron Artest's extremes in either direction. Right. Like, he, he he's not the defender that Ron Artest was. Not the athlete that Ron Artest was. Not the knucklehead that Ron Artest was, although Lance had his moments. Whether it was on court and blowing in LeBron James' ear or putting out on Twitter that he was having a pool party at his house and gave the address <laughs> on Twitter. And, and Pacers security had to call him and tell him to take that down. And they had to drive out and bust up the party. So, you know, you got to love a guy who's willing to just throw an open house for Pacers fans. And But, uh, you know, no, he's not on my list. Love him, but he's not on my list. And well, if you ask him a ice. good question, man, if you like asking him a good question that was thoughtful and made him think, you got a really good answer back from him. I always enjoyed talking to Lance. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to number 26. Who you got? Number 26, I've got Derek McKee. Okay. Derek McKee, statistically, uh, nothing really stands out. About nine points a game. He was a great defender. Not mm-hmm. a good defender, a great defender. He didn't start toward the end of his run here, but he was a terrific guy off the bench. Never made a lot of noise. He continues to make his home here in indianapolis and i give you know props to a guy who makes his home here but those teams that he was a part of from 1994 through 2001 they were better for having Derek mckee on them and and he was part a big part of the reason that they had the success that they did playing in all those eastern conference finals playing in the nba finals in 2000 Derek mckee had a big role in that yeah i have Derek mckee up higher on my list in for a lot of those reasons you mentioned, the defense was incredible. But um, this is where the ABA fans, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably going to get mad at me because born in 1982, I didn't really see a lot of ABA basketball. In fact, I didn't see any of it. And all I can go off is what I've heard and stories I've read and you know, trying to figure things out. So this is probably a little bit of ignorance coming to uh, the ABA Pacers. But for 26, I put Bob Nedelicki. And I, I wanted to put yeah. him on this list, and I know a lot of people don't even know who that is if you're just a NBA Pacers fan, but uh, with his time in the NBA for the Pacers, he averaged 15.7 points a game, 8.9 rebounds, and he also was uh, you know just a really – he was a decent shooter, I guess you could say. Uh, actually, he's actually pretty bad. He's only 50%, I guess. I don't know how good that is, but um, the defense was definitely different back then. So – you know, but a good rebounder, a good role player with the with the great players that you hear about those ABA days, Freddie Lewis, Roger Brown, Mel Daniels, George McGinnis. I mean, he was that role player, and that's kind of what I've heard from people talking about uh, Bob Nedelecki is he was just such a great teammate, and he was that kind of role player that they needed. So he he definitely deserves to be on this list, but I can't say too much more about him except good stats on championship teams. He deserves to be on this list. He also lives here, and and you see him up in Fishers from time to time. I've run into him at the Kroger's several times, and mm-hmm. and Bob did a thing. I've got him higher on the list. Uh, he owned Nettos in the Meadows. 
okay. which was kind of a bar, uh, a, a bar in in the seventies, and uh, that's where guys went after the games. And and so you know you wanted to hang. It, it, it was different then. You know, guys didn't own palaces, right? They made a, a, a modest amount of money, so they were kind of like us. And when they were going to go out and have some fun, they went to Nettos in the Meadows. And, uh, and, and so that was, there was a different level of camaraderie in the city or so I've heard. I was mm-hmm. in Chicago at the time, you know, uh, toward the end of the, the ABA years and didn't really watch very much at all. So his basketball career, I'm not terribly aware of other than talking to him about it a couple of times and, and then knowing that he owned his own nightclub. And, and packed it with people because Pacers went there. I think that's cool, and that's got to be rewarded. So I've got him a little bit higher up the list. Absolutely. And I believe, if I'm correct, he was real good friends with Mel Daniels, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's, uh, you know, they were, I think the day that Mel died, uh, he and Neto were going to go out to lunch. And mm-hmm. they, they had like a weekly lunch date. So those teams, incredibly close. Right and and really spent a lot of time together and uh, you know that went for Darnell Hillman also Roger Brown those guys in fact they would play together in Indianapolis into the early nineties they'd just get together and play pickup basketball um, but they they loved each other they loved slick it, it was a different time these weren't you know players weren't corporations back then they had to rely on each other socially as well as competitively and uh, so yeah those guys. Um, Mel, of course, has passed, but a lot of those guys still really good friends today. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break here, Kent, before we come back with our last five on our list for today's episode. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are going to finish the last half of our 21 to 30 list here for the top 30 Pacers of all time. So we are at number 25, and Kent, you are up. Who do you got? You know, here's where I could go Victor Oladipo. Okay. All right, and I'm not. But if I, as I continue to massage this list, I'm I'm, I'm feeling like I've been a little bit mean spirited toward Vic, and not. Uh, I agree. I think you are. Yeah, I, I'm not giving him credit for what he's been these last three years as a guy who's come over and really kind of reinvigorated the city's love for the team in the absence of Paul George. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to say Herb Williams. Herb was okay. drafted in the first round. Uh, by the Pacers, I think in 81, averaged 15 points a game, 7.8 rebounds uh, over the course of eight seasons here. And the thing that I think is most important, although he didn't do this, it's kind of like Paul George, right? Without Paul George, the Pacers don't get Victor Oladipo and Domas Sabonis. Well, without Herb Williams, the Pacers don't get Detlef Schrempf or Antonio Davis. They got Schrempf, and then that uh, second-round pick that the Pacers used to draft Antonio Davis, that was a big deal in the history of the franchise. So I've kind of elevated Herb Williams maybe into a place where I, I could see kind of giving him the boot and throwing Victor Oladipo there in his stead. But, uh, you know, I'll stick with the list as is, and it's Herb Williams out of Ohio State. Yeah, and that's funny because for 25 for me, I too have Herb Williams. So there we match really? again. Yes, I do. And I, you know, you look at, <laughs> you look at the stats, like you mentioned. I mean, he was a really important player for that Pacers yeah. team and put up really good numbers. And, you know, you, you kind of hear like, 
the random big guy names like for guys like me that didn't really get to watch the Pacers in their prime, like him and LaSalle Thompson, like those kind of guys that were just so important for the Pacers. But at the same time, you don't really know much about them besides when you watch an old playoff game and you see Reggie going off or, you know, Chuck Person going off against the Celtics and you see those guys kind of mixed in there. So it's just kind of interesting to look back at the careers of these guys and think wow they're really a lot better than you thought they're not just this big guy that was out there on the court setting screens they were pretty dominant and uh you mentioned that herb williams had great numbers and i think he was definitely worthy of being put on this list so let's move forward number 24 who you got i got don boosie okay because don boosie was a lockdown defender and and when he migrated to the nba he led the nba in steals that first year that aba teams were allowed in the nba seven years with the pacers uh, a one-time ABA champion. He's an Indiana native. He went to the University of Evansville. I give a slight bump to people who are from Indiana, stay in Indiana, and played their professional basketball in Indiana also. There aren't a lot of those guys. McGinnis is one of those guys. But I like Don Boosie uh, just because he was kind of that gritty defensive guy that uh, um, you know we don't necessarily tip our cap to all that often. Yeah, I don't know much about Don Boozy, so I'll take your word for whatever you say. And my <laughs> my my twenty four, it, it kind of falls in the line with how you like hometown guys, uh, point guards as well. I went with George Hill, and you know huh? he was he was brought onto this team in a, a trade that every fan likes to bring up every single year. He was eventually uh, he was on the Spurs, and he got traded here for the draft rights to Kawhi Leonard. And yes, the Pacers were going to take Kawhi Leonard if they did not make the trade because they really valued Kawhi. They didn't realize he would be the Kawhi that we see today, obviously. But, you know, they got George Hill. And it's pretty funny because Darren Collison was starting point guard at this point. So George was coming off the bench, being that sixth man. Collison goes down with an injury. And I believe Danny Granger was hurt at this time. Or maybe, you know, Danny Granger was not hurt at this time. That was the year uh, before Danny got hurt. So they insert George Hill into the starting lineup and put him with Paul George, David West, Hibbert, and Granger. And those teams, that team started clicking really well. And I I think George Hill, you know, if you ever needed a a late game free throw, you knew he was going to miss one for you to make the game exciting. But he hit big threes. He was a great defender. And honestly, he was Paul George's one of his best friend. And I I think that their relationship helped them develop a good backcourt chemistry together. Maybe it's a little bit too high for George Hill, but I just... I feel like he deserves some love because he, he to me, was a very important piece of this Pacers run in the beginning of the 2010s decade. Yeah, and I don't have him on my list because he just wasn't here long enough for me, but I love George Hill. Uh, yeah. Really good guy, really smart guy, went to Broad Ripple and then IUPUI. Um, uh, very, uh, to me, I don't know whether you would say he's an intellectual, but he thinks the game of basketball at a really, really high level. Mm-hmm. and he understands it, and he understands how people work together, and he's just smart as hell. And and I thought a guy who I had always hoped that that he'd finish his career here, I, I think that you know he's one of those guys that I would have enjoyed, like Vern Fleming. Right, like when right. Vern was getting older in 94 and 95, he was a guy who was on the team that you could point to and think, you know, that's kind of our guy. I always saw George sort of through that prism. Yeah, that trade that Bird made to get Jeff Teague here, it, it made sense for him wanting to play smaller, but you know, and faster. But Paul George kind of was the guy that threw the monkey wrench into those plans because he refused to play the four. 
they probably would have been better off just keeping George at the one and not going after Teague because we saw how the Teague era ended. So definitely one of those things where you look back at it, you wish that they would have just hung on to George Hill. But we move on. Number 23, who you got? Number 23, I've got Jeff Foster. Okay. And I can be argued off this. I mean, to, to you know, imply even that somehow Jeff Foster is more important as a historic figure with the Indiana Pacers and Victor Oladipo, <laughs> I, I think is preposterous. But Jeff Foster, he spent his entire career here, all 13 years. He was a tenacious overachiever. He could not shoot a lick, and yet he made it 13 years in the NBA and made a lot of money. And in sticking with one team, being a historic, I've only been a Pacer guy for that many years, I, I got to somehow tip my hat to Jeff Foster. Yeah, this is where I messed up, Kent, because I thought I put him on my list and forgot that I didn't. So <laughs> that's on me. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we can hate on you for not putting Oladipo, but I didn't even put Jeff Foster on mine. This is the problem when you try to do this list in a short amount of time and don't give it a 1,000% thought. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but I, I agree with you. Jeff Foster was such a fun guy to watch play too. I mean, yeah. dive, dive on the floor for any loose ball. I mean, he, and I, I loved when we played the bulls when they had Derek Rose and the Pacers were with the new Frank Vogel era, just fired Jim O'Brien. I mean, Foster was kind of old school, you know, he gave Derek Rose a couple cheap fouls. And I mean, they weren't like, you know, as bad as the bad, uh, the bad boy Pistons, but it was still, you know, you enjoyed that tenacity that he played with. And he was like, hey, this is my paint. You're coming in here. I'm going to make you earn it from the free throw line. You know, I'm going to make you earn, you know, your keepsake coming in here because I'm not going to just let you dunk on me or get layups on me. And I love that about him. But, you know, definitely somebody that I think I am super regretful that I did not put him on my list. And I'm really mad at myself right now, Kent. But uh completely agree that he should be on this list. And 23 to me is a perfect spot for him. For 23 for me, I went with... Antonio Davis, somebody you mentioned earlier that we got in a trade, you know, not a great, great player at all by any means, but, you know, he was really pivotal to those Pacers-Knicks series and the Pacers-Bulls series. I mean, you get Smiths in foul trouble, you bring Antonio in. You get Dale in foul trouble, Antonio. I mean, he was probably one of the best sixth-man big men in the entire NBA at that point, especially going up against... Uh, some of the big guys. And I think you look back at it, the Pacers ended up trading Antonio to Toronto to get the draft rights to Jonathan Bender. Now, Jonathan Bender is someone that will always be a story that the Pacers never got to see play out because he was always injured with his knees and someone that could have been what they say, Kevin Durant before Kevin Durant. But just imagine, Kent, what if we have Antonio Davis in that Lakers series, how big of a difference does it make having him out there instead of a, you know, a Sam Perkins or a guy like Austin Crozier? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, that would have been a fascinating element to, to what that team was. And, and I know that it called Donnie Walsh to trade Antonio Davis and he understood the, the short-term loss, but what, what the Pacers have always done and what they're really, really good at is never kind of never getting into one of those big swales where they win 25 games. You know, they always win win 30 games. And so what Donnie was trying to do was sort of rebuild on the fly. As his team was getting older, he knew he needed some fresh guys in here. They traded Dale not too long after that and Mm -hmm. got Jermaine O'Neal. 
And and so they were spinning current asset, uh, assets to go get future assets. Bender wasn't ready to play as a rookie in 99-2000. But, man, that team in 1998 that went to the Eastern Conference Finals with A.D., and and Dale and Rick and Reggie and Mark and and all the guys coming off the bench, whether it was Sam or Mully or any of those, uh, Jalen, that was just a terrific, really, really good basketball team. I wish that Antonio had stayed around, obviously, knowing what what transpired with Jonathan. Right. But uh, man, in in two thousand and then beyond. If they had stayed to get, I, I, I always remember the, the 75 Bulls, they were kind of in the same situation. And I lived in Chicago then, I was a kid. And they went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Golden State Warriors. But they were a really good team. And, and for whatever reason, management just blew it up after that year with the Bulls. And it seemed like that kind of happened with the 2000 Pacers, right. where, you know, Jack was gone. And and Crozier was gone, and you know we we had this tumult with with Dale Davis, and and all of a sudden that team became another team, and I, I wish Smiths retires. I, I wish they'd had one more go round to kind of kind of throw at the Eastern Conference and see what they were going to do in that that post Michael Jordan era where it was kind of up in the air. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the Lakers ended up going on a three peat. And you look at the Eastern Conference, like, I hate to say it, but I was never a fan of those Nets teams that made the finals. Never no. thought they were that great. You look at the 76ers team that made it the year after, I believe, the Pacers uh, with Allen Iverson. I mean, he was the only really great player on that team. They were easily beatable. You know, they were just, ugh, that team was awful. I mean, I think if you look at the 2000 Pacers, they would have easily handled the 76ers the next year if they stayed together and stayed healthy. But, you know, it's it's one of those what if moments in Pacers history, and we've seen a lot of those. So uh, you just kind of move on and hope that. I mean, they made some good moves after that, no no doubt about it. Trading Rose and Best and getting Brad Miller and Ron Artest, sure. Kevin Ollie. I mean, that was a Ron Mercer. That was a great trade for the Pacers. Uh, but unfortunately, the brawl happened. I think that really just kind of tore things up. And one of the the biggest let goes letdowns of that whole entire decade, right there, from two thousand two thousand ten for me was letting go of Rick Carlisle so soon. I mean, if the Pacers would have held on to him for a while and never went through the Jim O'Brien era, I would have been much happier. And uh, we might not have seen Frank Vogel, but you look at what Carlisle's done with Dallas, and I, I just that's one of the coaches I wish we would have never got rid of. But that's another day for another topic. So let's move on. <laughs> we, we could rabbit trail for a long time if we wanted to, but let's move on. we got two left. Number 22, who you got? I'm going to say Roy Hibbert. Okay. He was a two-time All-Star. He was an elite-level rim protector. When he was playing well and and was a happy guy, and I'm still – I hear all kinds of rumors about what happened in that locker room and kind of who is banging whose girlfriend or, you know, fiancé and how all that went down. I don't know whether any of that's true. But until it all went, you know, batshit – that was a really, really good basketball team, and Roy Hibbert was a big part of it. And and so I've got him at 22, only 11.1 points per game, six and a half rebounds or so, two-time All-Star. I, but I thought that he was a key component to that team that really had, I think, more in it than it wound up showing mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah, though the, the inside the locker room situation is very, very uh, – 
happens. I guess the correct word would be it's very bleak of what happened. You know, nobody really knows. But I'm a I'm a big fan of a Roy Hibbert and the block he had on Mello elevated him up my yeah. list. So he's yeah. not in my top. Uh, he's in my top twenty, but he's not in my top thirty. If that makes sense. So he's not from twenty one to thirty. So twenty two for me. Uh, I believe you mentioned him earlier, Derek McKee. You know everything you said yeah. about him. Indie guy still. You know played a, a long time here. Not a great offensive player, but a fantastic defender. You know, you look at you look at stars, and you and you look at teams that have stars like a Reggie Miller, and you need a defensive guy that can help him out and not make him have to exert energy on both ends of the floor for the whole game. So, yeah, Derek McKee got stuck, you know, guarding Michael Jordan in a lot of those games, you know. But the Pacers needed his defense. I believe I believe that the Pacers ended up trading Detlef Shrimp for Derek McKee, if I'm correct, right? Yes, that's right. correct. With the, the Seattle Sonics, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, it was more not so because I mean, Detlef was a great offensive player, where Derek was a great defensive player, and they needed to change that dynamic up too, and, and bring in some more defense. And I think that it made sense. You know, obviously in today's NBA, you would hate the roster the Pacers had with Dale and Derek out there not being able to shoot the ball. But in, in that modern day basketball in the '90s, Derek made perfect sense for the Pacers, and like Kent, all the you know, all the things you said earlier, I think that that goes into my point of why I have him at 22. And he was a perfect player for Larry Brown. Yes. Larry yes. Brown loved Derek McKee and, and he hated Jalen Rose. He loved Derek McKee. You need guys on your team that you absolutely love. And Larry Brown could count on Derek McKee to bring it every night. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Jalen Rose's story about uh, Larry Brown and all that, but it's pretty funny. Did you hear he, it? What happens? With the pills where they gave him uh, Adderall? No. Okay, so Jalen has said this on a few podcasts. and he they, said, they gave Jalen Adderall or they gave Larry Adderall? They gave, <laughs> they gave Jalen Adderall because they said that, you know, he was just kind of like all, all over the place, like super crazy. And so he was like, I wasn't getting playing time. I was getting coach uh, uh, DNP coaches' decisions. He said, I'm getting a ton of those. He said, I was in the doghouse, and they gave me these pills and said, we want you to, you know, take these because, you know, you're not focusing and you're not doing this. And he said, yeah, I took the pills home. I just threw them in the trash can. I never took them. And they thought I took them. And they're like, see, he's playing a lot better now that he started taking those pills. <laughs> and he goes, I never took the pills. And I'm just like, you got to listen to that story. He tells it much better than I do because I'm kind of just going off my memory there. But it's a very, very funny story from Jalen Rose. And we know he's pretty good on TV, so – uh, he, he's gotten much better at telling stories. So other than that, Kent, we got one left. Who is your sure. number 21 for today's episode? I got Miles at 21. That's you know, right, five right. seasons. He's a consistent scorer. He's a really – he's an elite-level shot blocker. So he kind of – he's kind of a stretch five who can protect the rim. And you don't have a gob of those guys in the NBA. You know, you, you got Porzingis maybe, but Porzingis doesn't block shots. Mm-hmm. It, it, in the way that Miles Turner does, he's been a really good soldier, you mm-hmm. know, making eighteen million dollars a year. But he's been a good good soldier as Domas Sabonis has really kind of elevated his game in in large part it, at the expense of Miles Turner's game. And he hadn't said boo about it and keeps going about his business and being a good teammate. And and I think that that's that's critical as this team hopefully you know gets back at it. And and figure some things out. What are they? Uh, Thirty nine and twenty six now. Something yes, like that yes. is 
and they'll be that way for a while. And, and when they get back at it, hopefully Miles is in a position to continue to help this team win, which seems to be the most important thing to him. Yeah, that's those are all great points about Miles. And uh, I'm just going to leave it at that because I said what I said about Miles earlier in the episode. But for me, 21, I, I mentioned this earlier too, Detlef Shrimp. So, uh, you know, it was really close. I had to put him just a little bit above McKee because I do believe he was a better overall player than Derek McKee. You know, you look at his success with Seattle and Indiana. I mean, he was really good for 11 seasons, averaging about 17 points a game during that time. You know, solid rebounder. Uh, really with the Pacers, he averaged eight and a half rebounds a game, four assists, 17 points, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of a really important piece of the Pacers success, uh, during those, during those years when he played with us from, I believe it was 80, 88, 89, all the way to 1993. So, you know, very important years, five seasons only, but he started in 97 of those games. So he was really their sixth man for most of that, if I recall, and shot 51% from the field. Uh, Not a good three-point shooter with the Pacers, but, you know, I'm not even sure how many threes they were shooting at that point in the NBA. Uh, It looks like he wasn't even averaging an attempt a game, so that just goes to show you where the NBA was at that point. But a really good basketball player and someone I just thought, you know, should be high on the list because of the success he had with the Pacers. Really good player, very cerebral, uh, delivered the basketball really well, terrific passer. And, and a guy, I mean, you look at his line in, uh, in 1991-92 where he averaged 17 points a game, 9.6 boards, uh, 3.9 assists. And then the year after that, 92-93, his first all-star year with the Pacers, 19 points, 9.5 boards, 6 assists. That's a guy who did a lot of heavy lifting for a not-so-very-good basketball team and, mm-hmm. and was that guy that, that the Pacers dealt for. And then they traded for Derek McKee, and and I think that that brought another nice era of quality basketball to Indianapolis. And so, yeah, I I, I couldn't speak more. And again, the Parks and Rec thing, you know, <laughs> as a guest star on Par- Parks and Rec, I thought he and Hibbert were hilarious. I have to ask this because I'm not sure, but why did the Pacers trade him? Did he ask for a trade? No, I don't think so. And it happened like right as the season began. Huh. So. That's so yeah, I don't know. What um that was uh at the beginning, I think he got traded like November 1st of 9394. And so was that was that then? I think that was Larry Brown's first year. Um this would be so a good that was Larry question. He had Bob Bob Hill was the coach in uh, 92-93. Then Larry Brown tur- uh, took over in 93-94. Mm-hmm. And so that's when that trade was made to go get Derek McKee. And I think that that was Larry Brown working with Donnie Walsh. Maybe Detlef wasn't the defensive player that Larry wanted, and Derek was. And so they swapped offense for defense and got Derek uh, mm-hmm. to please Larry. But it, it sounds like Larry went to, went to Donnie and said, look, this guy can't play for me in this defense we got to do something and and so they went out and did it that's interesting because i would i would have loved to seen those two play together you know yeah Uh, right especially if you think of modern day basketball with detlef at the four and Derek at the three that might have been a little fun to just see a different dynamic you know especially with both davis brothers and smiths you know obviously you, you probably don't get mckee unless you give up a quality player so it makes sense but yeah that's a very interesting trade that i never really understood why it happened when you look at the numbers and you look at the 
styles of play and how, I mean, an all-star year before that and you trade him for a guy that's a good defensive player. Like, you don't see those kind of things in the NBA nowadays. So just just a curious trade on that. So, Kent, I think we've made it here to 21. So we got 20 to 11 next week. Uh, nice. Any, any thoughts on the, you know, the list that we came up with today, like the, be- the beginning of our top 30? I think it was kind of interesting. I, I think we're both kind of in the in the same ballpark as how we evaluate kind of the historical significance of these guys, and 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 we're not just limiting it to the statistics because I think any any boob can do that. You're you're bringing love of the game, and I'm bringing a level of spite for those who have disappointed <laughs> me. And and so I think uh, yeah, I think we're the the two perfect components to put together a list like this. Absolutely. And if you guys would love to get on Kent's case for not putting Victor Oladipo on his top 30 Pacers list, please feel free to do that on Twitter, <laughs> at Kent Sterling. That's yeah, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. Thanks. And uh, you can also see Kent's daily uh, visits to the grocery store to see what is also out of stock, which was hilarious. Uh, I showed all my family that I was dying laughing at the uh, <laughs> the commentary from you and Julie. Great stuff, and I really encourage you guys. I, I encourage you, Kent, to go out and do that more. That'd be great if you would do like you know, a weekly update. We went to the Kroger today, and it was really pretty well stocked. They had chicken, they had bananas again. No toilet paper, no paper towels, but that was kind of the only thing that was lacking. And uh, so, you know, maybe maybe people. Or maybe it's just the day that they they really get after it, stocking the shelves. I don't right. know, but Sundays maybe we've are. kind of we've adapted a little bit to the new normal, and and I hope that that's the case. We stop hoarding stuff because that's just a bad luck. Uh, yeah, well, let me let me ask you this really tough question: If you ran out of sure. toilet paper and paper towels, what would you use? Uh, the Indianapolis Star Sports section. <laughs> no, oh, I'm cool. kidding. That's, that's just a so shot at rough. some friends. That's a shot at some friends. Um, I don't know. Can I? I'll t- well, I'll tell you what I would do. Assuming that they are stocked, well, I'll do, I'd do the same thing I do on the road, and that's stop at a hotel or stop at a church. They're they're always really well stocked, <laughs> and and it's usually empty in there. If you go to the hotel can uh, just off the the lobby, who uses those? They're right. clean. They're you've got decent. You know, toilet paper, you're, you're not dealing with kind of the crap at the marathon station, the Scott Towels stuff. So it's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's kind of a home away from home. And, and that's always the pro move is to if, if you've got a, you know, and you're on the road, you don't go to the gas station, you go to the hotel. You don't just, like, pull out a dirty shirt and just wash it when you're done? <laughs> Jump in the shower, kid? No. You mean you're going to travel? What if you're stuck on the pot and you run out? No, you know, I'm, oh, no, I'm checking before I walk in, you know, or I'm checking as I walk in. I don't get surprised by an empty spool ever. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Well, I mean, just just so you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, you know, and you're not sure if you have toilet paper, stop somewhere. Uh, stop at a re- <laughs> restaurant. Stop at a hotel like Gensett or a church. See if you can use their bathroom because that would be the worst case scenario is no toilet paper. No paper towels and not wanting to, you know, deal with washing of a cloth or a shirt. So anyway, guys, we appreciate you for listening to the episode. Hopefully this helps you get through your day a little bit on Monday as we are still living in a world with hardly any sports besides horse racing and darts. Kent, good talking to you, my man. Good talking to you, Alex. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.